Sunday of the new year, you're probably tired. It's a, it's a cloudy day. It's raining. Uh, that's quite an assignment here, and I'm not a very arresting speaker. So, I'm going to have to ask the Lord to, to, uh, to fill where I'm lacking here. Matthew chapter 2. Jesus is a Nazarene. That might not really mean a whole lot to you. Yeah, I knew that. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. But I want you to understand this morning what that meant. And to help you understand a little bit more of what that meant, have you ever been an outsider anywhere? You know what it means to not fit in? To Even though maybe words haven't been said, you knew that something isn't quite right. You didn't feel accepted. And maybe it was a perception, not reality. But you know the feeling. You know the feeling. I want you to understand this morning that Jesus was an outsider and Jesus is for outsiders. Jesus is not raised in Bethlehem or Jerusalem as an expected descendant of David from the tribe of Judah. And why does Matthew tell us these words at the end of Matthew chapter 2? He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. <clears throat> I shared earlier, a few weeks ago, as we worked through Matthew 1 and 2, that every time you see that it might be fulfilled, Matthew's saying, listen to the Old Testament. Listen. Perk your ears up. Listen. But this one's a little bit more cryptic. Why does Matthew have to say he's in Nazareth, just like the prophet said? What's the significance of that? What does that mean? Why does Matthew tell us this? And all through Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, Matthew has been feeding these little nuggets, these subtle dropping hints along the way here that Jesus is for outsiders. In the genealogy, he includes four women in a genealogy, unheard of in Jewish traditions. And these aren't just any women, these are women who were outsiders. And some of them, whether a fault of their own or no fault of their own, had shady things that their lives had been associated with. Of course, the men mentioned as well had some serious flaws as well. And then Joseph. Joseph was not a popular guy. Joseph had to Embrace shame. Joseph and Mary from Nazareth. Outsiders to influential, powerful society. Then last week we saw the wise men from the east, from the eastern lands. Pagans that come and are invited to worship the king, whereas the scribes who knew the scriptures were not. That theme has run through here, and it's come, going to come out again. Why does Matthew tell us that Jesus was in Nazareth, so it was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets? Well, Jesus spent about 30 years in Nazareth. How many of you have lived in a place about 30 years in one? 
How many of you lived, anybody lived in the same house about 30 years? It's not very common, is it? Not very common. This is the longest place I've lived. Um, besides uh, as a kid growing up, but as my own family, this is the longest place, uh, longest we've lived in a certain place. But what's so significant about Nazareth? Well, if you have a if you have a paper Bible which is, just has so many good things about it, <laughs> in the back of them there's these maps sometimes, and this map is so tiny I wish it would have showed up larger on the screen. But maybe you have a map of first century Israel um, there where Jesus went, and if you looked at that map you might find the city of Nazareth, which is at the top of this route. This route, by the way, is is, is showing the path from Bethlehem to Nazareth that um, Jesus' family would have traveled to settle back in Nazareth where Joseph and Mary were from. Um, you see where Nazareth is in Israel? It's at the tippy top. It's like the Allagash. <laughs> it's at the tippy top. It's a city in Galilee. It's a 60-acre village. 60 acres. Anybody own more than 60 acres? Or about 60 acres. That's 60 acres. That's not very large for a town, is it? 60 acres. It may have had about 400 people during that time. We don't know. But you'll notice that it's at the top. And it's in a region, an area of Israel called Galilee. Galilee. Now, we're so familiar with Galilee because you read about it in the Gospels that we don't think anything of it. <clears throat> but if you're an Israelite living in Israel and you heard Galilee, you would have some biases. And some come to mind. Now, what's a place that you might think of in your own mind that you go, don't answer? (laughs) That you might look down on or have some prejudices about? Well, Galilee was that region. Galilee was that region. It was part of the northern kingdom, it was actually separated from from, from Judea, Judah. You remember what happened with. Um, after Solomon had died and built this powerful kingdom, God had built through him, and, and then you have his son Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, uh, 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 God, um, uh, Rehoboam just kind of does things on his own, like his father, and God splits the kingdom, and you have the southern kingdom, Judah, Judea, and then you have the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken captive by Assyria about 800 B.C. Galilee was that region. That's the that's the Sea of Galilee up there. That's why it's called Galilee. But it's part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And then the southern kingdom of Israel down here where Jerusalem was, and you know, of course the kings had reigned, etc. They're, they're, they're sep- it was separate. But Galilee, even the region of Galilee, was very different from the rest of Israel. Here's some reasons. Ethnically, Galilee was very different because the Assyrians that had conquered it had mixed with the Jews. And it was mixed like Samaria. And it was even called in, Genesis, in Isaiah 9.1. You know Isaiah 9, the passage about unto us a child is born. Verse 6. Verse 1 says, the light's going to come into Galilee. And Galilee is the district of the Gentiles. Now, you might not be able to see it or read that, but that says Samaria right there. Samaria. Look how far north above Samaria Nazareth is. 
And so that's the setting here. Ethnically, it was different. In fact, in the book of John, Jesus is called a Samaritan by those who didn't like him. That's how they looked at him. Because he was from that region. Geographically, obviously, it was different. It was detached, <coughs> detached from Judea by the territory of of Samaria, there's a there's a Samarian uh, uh, a section here that was that they would go all the way around so as not to go through Samaria, a mix of Jewish and Assyrian people, the Samaritans. Politically, it was different. They had their own separate government from Judea. Culturally, it was different. They weren't they didn't have Jewish culture enough. They were open to more of the Greek influence from Alexander the Great. Linguistically. In their language, they were different. They had a very noticeable country accent. And they were looked down on. In fact, this is how Peter recognized when um, he betrays, denies Jesus. Because of his accent. Which you would imagine Jesus growing up 30 years in Nazareth would have had that same accent. It wouldn't have been the high culture tongue. It would have been something that they would have chuckled at in Jerusalem that they heard him speak. Religiously, they were different. Because they were so far away from Jerusalem, they didn't have much uh, a representation for observing proper rituals in the, in the Jerusalem temple. And so, they were looked down on that way. And if you had a Galilean come into Jerusalem proper, or that region of Judea, they probably would have looked like, if we're going to make comparisons today, like somebody coming out of the hills of Kentucky to New York City. They would have had an accent that would mark him out as not one of us. Inferior. Despised. That's Galilee. That's the region. That's like the territory. But then Nazareth. That's at the tippy top of that. That's the extreme of that region. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is one of the things that was said by somebody who was even a Galilean. And so if you were from Nazareth, you were ashamed, you were looked down on, you were despised, you lacked credibility. And in Jesus' life, that was even his own village of Nazareth looking at him. Now put this in perspective. All right, Israel was already the, the nation of Israel was already despised by the world, right? They were different than the rest of the world were supposed to be. They already had that as a nation. Then Galilee, that region of Galilee, to the rest of Israel, as I just explained. Then Nazareth to Galilee, and then you had Jesus in Nazareth, the rest of the relation of Nazareth and how they looked at him. And then you had Jesus' own family members. So is there anyone who's more despised or rejected than Jesus? That's how odd he would have been. Even his own family despised him. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians, has God called many wise? And Paul goes on to say that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The awkward the ones that don't fit in. Hebrews 13 tells the readers 
that upon Hebrews chapter 12, where they are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, because we're, 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 we're surrounded by these witnesses in the line of, of believers here, and let's run the race with patience that's set before us, look to, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, here for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising, we're thinking little of the shame. So he had shame. He bore the shame, but he thought little about that shame. And is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. Life of Jesus was a, was a life of, 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 of contradiction. People against him. Despised, rejected. You say, okay, so Jesus came from Nazareth. A little despised town. And Matthew says, yep, that's what was said in the Old Testament, just like the prophets said. And on the surface, you and, all, you and I would say, okay, well, Matthew says there must be some place that some prophet says something about Nazareth. And you know what makes this passage really hard? Is there's nowhere in the Old Testament that says that Jesus came from Nazareth. Will come from Nazareth. And so we have to think. What is Matthew doing? And Matthew is brilliant. <laughs> Inspired by God, the scripture here. And there's no prophet, but notice what he says. This is what was spoken by the prophets. The prophets. Well, there's some kind of accumulation here with the prophets as Matthew reads the Old Testament and says, yep, this is it. And here's the answer. Why is Matthew saying this is significant here? Well, the Hebrew word for branch... The Hebrew word for branch is Netzer. Very similar to Nazareth. And Matthew is saying, this Messiah who's called the branch, and branch was a, a term that meant a descendant. He's called the branch, a descendant. A descendant of who? A descendant of David. Why a descendant of David? So there would be a forever king. He's going to live in Nazareth. Why would he need to say that? Because the branch, in the sense of David, lived where? The origin city was Bethlehem. And then Jerusalem, of course, where the kings would have been. And so Matthew is making an apologetic. He's making a defense of the fact that Jesus would have come from despised Nazareth to be the one who he said he was, the wise king descended from David. Messiah is the branch. You can see this in a few passages in Isaiah uh, and Jeremiah, we'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. We are told he would be in Galilee and be a light in Galilee that would shine in darkness, but we're not told specifically he would come from Nazareth in Galilee. But Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 says, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. In that day. Talking about the future, a future event. In chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. A sevenfold candlestick here. Pictured here. The Holy Spirit. 
and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. It will be a, 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 a perfect judge. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. That's this branch. In Jeremiah and the next book over. In Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah says this about the branch. After talking about the shepherds that were supposed to shepherd Israel but did so poorly here as shepherding them, not bringing them to the word of God. In Jeremiah 23 verse 5. He says, here's hope though. And by the way, if you're a prophet, you have that prophetic gift. You know, you're, you're, you're someone who calls out truth. You're a prophet. You're not a true prophet if all you do is condemn. You're a true prophet if, if you're condemning you provide hope. The biblical prophets, with their harsh words, always bring out hope. And notice how Jeremiah does this in Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. After that condemnation of the, of the poor shepherds in Israel, he says in verse 5, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a righteous branch. And the king shall reign and prosper, and it shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our Righteousness. And so when Matthew says in Matthew 2.23, He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. He's saying... Jesus is the branch who's going to live in Branchville. And the fact that he's living in Nazareth does not diminish that he's the wise king. It actually, the prophets were showing us all along. Why shouldn't one who is the branch live in a place that sounds like the branch? Despised and rejected. The true descendant of David, the branch the prophets speak of, in Branchville. Now, Nazareth does not disqualify him like Israelites would have thought. It describes his Davidic descendants, though he's not in Bethlehem of Jerusalem, as the king. That the great wise king came out of the despised and scorned Nazareth, mocked, rejected, but the legitimate and the true branch. He comes bearing the shame. But unlike those, sometimes when you're, when you're shamed or you're ostracized, you know what? The, 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 the bully people many times can become bullies. Right? Those who've been ostracized and shamed can have a very hard time letting people into their circles. They can't trust people. Right? That's very often the pattern of, of the human heart here. But this one who comes bearing the shame as an outsider, this one is different. Because this one comes welcoming those who will hear. He as an outsider welcomes those. Because it's out of the weak. It's out of the awkward. It's out of the foolish to the proud and mighty. The powerless comes a king and a kingdom that cannot be stopped. Out of Nazareth comes an unstoppable eternal kingdom. Out of Nazareth.
that with open arms and fitted with the good news of who he is and what he has done and what he will do, he invites all to respond in allegiance to him. To the crucified Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one who, out of Nazareth, rejected. And we looked at it from Israel's standpoint, Galilee's, Nazareth's even. He goes back to Nazareth and he says, remember in, in, in Luke 4, he says, he reads the scriptures in Isaiah, he says, this face fill in my ear, in your ears. In other words, I'm the one who the scripture is speak, speaking of. I'm the Messiah. And what did he do? His own village wants to kill him. <laughs> the rejects in Nazareth want to kill the reject. That's how bad it is. But this is the one who pays for sin's pride as a humble savior. That is rejection. And his kingdom that looks like a mustard seed, that looks like yeast in the dough, rises and conquers. I don't know about you, but to me it's very good news that Jesus uses awkward people. In Acts chapter 24 and in verse 5. Some of those in the Roman government states describing Paul say this in Acts 24 5 about Paul. We have found this man a pestilent fellow <laughs> and a mover of seditions among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. Do you know if you are in extreme Muslim-held areas like our brothers and sisters in Iran today, just give an example, or excuse me, Afghanistan would be a good example. There. Where the Taliban is quietly, you saw some of the hubbub die down, where the Taliban is quietly going behind the scenes and finding out who the Christians are so they don't have bad press because they want support from the government. They can't, or from the world, they can't do what they want to do without um, world, world government uh, trade and support here. So they're quietly behind the scenes going to through the houses to root out Christians and requiring the Christian um, this is what ISIS did in Iraq as well in Mosul and other areas to put the, he, the, the Arabic equivalent of what is an N on the door. The first letter of Nazarene. To mark out who the followers of Jesus were. That they are Nazarenes. They are followers of Jesus of Nazareth. And their family will suffer, have uh, sanctions put on them, um, be taken into slavery, um, possibly be killed. All all, all the possible degrees of, of persecution there. I find it interesting that the thing they want on the door to mark that it is, is these are Nazarenes. These are people who claim to be from Jesus of Nazareth. 
Friends, I don't know what 2022 holds for us, but I know this about our church. That God takes people who the world calls foolish, who even our own biases and prejudices would say, eh, that person. And God astounds the proud. And God can use, yes, even us, the Nazarenes, to go forth and push forward his life, guided by his spirit and the gospel of Christ. And my challenge for you as we look ahead is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to bear shame. There's no guarantee religious freedom in the U.S. is only going to get better and better. I can't make that guarantee. Perhaps it will, perhaps it won't. But there is a guarantee that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will face pressure to conform to the world. And Jesus says, walk in my steps right after me and bear the shame of the truth. Because men love to suppress the truth. They love darkness rather than light. Walk in the light. Walk in the truth. Shame from the world will come. Bear that because our Savior did. And at the same time, understand that it is who the world despises and who we even as believers can be influenced by the world and look at um, uh, people and say, you know, there's, there's no hope for them or God's not going to use that person and God can totally blow that idea up, can he? Like he did with Paul and others. Like he did with one of Nazareth. Have a heart for the outsiders. Because Jesus, as the one who was outside the camp, tells us this in Hebrews chapter 13. As the writer of Hebrews closes his book, he says this. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the body of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. So he lays out this idea that we as believers, we also have an altar. But this is different from the altar in the temple that he's saying is unneeded today. That's Jesus. And he says this in verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside of the gate. Okay, we know that. Jesus bore the shame. So then what does the writer of Hebrews say in the next verse? On the basis of that, let us. Let us go forth, therefore, to him outside the camp. You know where you're going to find Jesus always? Outside the camp. <laughs> He's not going to be popular. Let us go forth, therefore, to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, bearing his disgrace, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And you would think, okay, what, are, what's, what's this, what is this profound thing now that we're going to do? We go to Jesus outside the camp, 
where he is found in disgrace by the world, there must be this profound, huge thing that we're going to be called to do. And you know what it is? Verse 15, by him therefore, on the basis of this, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That's your altar. Praise and delight in God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good in the community, or to share, to give, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He says, go out, find Jesus outside the camp, follow him, give praises to God, live your life in joy with God, giving gratitude and thanks to God, rejoicing that you're, remember the disciples, they rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer with Jesus, rejoicing in Jesus, and do good, (laughs) and share. Pretty simple things, pretty basic things. That's where you're going to find Jesus. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. 